Hello. Hey. And we have Miss Ashley Stone. Yes. Joining the Flourish Podcast slash Videocast. Episode three. Adult entertainers and sports figures, relationship shenanigans and whatnots. Yes. How are you doing today? I am doing great. I'm actually really excited to be here. We're happy to have you as well. Um, now, to the viewers and the listeners, um, Ashley's forte is the BDSM and fetish world. Yes. So this is the first conversation that we've had anyone in that genre. And so I think you're going to help our listeners, you know, really get some insight and gain some, ground, um, gain some ground into that area. Yeah, I feel like I can absolutely do that. I feel like I can help educate people on BDSM and kink culture. And I'm very excited and I'm passionate about what I do as well. Mm. So I, I have a lot of knowledge in this area. All right, so let's kick it off. Now, you live in the Texas area. I'm not going to say what specific city. Yeah, I live in Central Texas. All right, Central Texas. And would you say that a lot of your clients in the fetish and kink world, um, how do you go about you know, meeting them or how, or communicating with them. Um, is there a specific genre within the kink space that you're seeing overtake others? Okay, well, how I connect with them, how I talk to them and stuff like that, normally it begins. Um, so Twitter right now is a huge platform um, for doms and professional dominatrixes and stuff like that, especially in the middle of the pandemic currently. Um, and I'm able to connect with them on there. Usually we discuss kinks uh, when they hit me up and, you know, we decide, you know, if it's a good fit. Uh, most of the time it is because uh, I don't have too many hard limits as a dominatrix. You really can't have too many hard limits because your job is to curate an experience that is safe, sane, and consensual for someone. And it's not purely sexual either. There's a lot of psychological play, so that's why you need to make sure it's a good fit between you and your sub um, before you take someone on as a client. Now, with meeting up with them, uh, right now, I'm a little bit more selective about mm -hmm. who I meet up with. Let's talk about that process after you finish the selection process. Yeah. Um, uh, but, you know, I really, I really enjoy all of this. Um, uh, everything that I do. Um, I, I love bringing people into this culture. I actually have a lot of newbies approach me, people who, who want to experience and kind of push themselves more as well. Um, and so I help push boundaries. Um, I have certain rules about that too, and we can get into that a little, a little later as okay. well. All right. All right. Um, but the kinks that I really see that are the most common right now right. would be... Uh, Sissification. So, Sissification. Sissification. Explain that to the users. Uh, so that's actually probably my favorite kink for someone to have. <laughs> All right. Um, so what it is, it's usually um, heterosexual cisgendered males. And they're normally alpha presenting in their real lives. They hold high-powered jobs or just their lives in general. Like they're in control of so much. People look up to them. And so... They, they hold a lot of pressure from societies, like gender norms that are placed on them. Mm -hmm. And with sissification, what it is, it's 
I wouldn't uh, essentially call it cross-dressing, but they do cross-dressing in it. They essentially want to be uh, a female. So they, it's their submissive, it's their release from the societal pressures of being a man. And, uh, and, and then some of that, from what the readings that I've had, was some of them ha were born with a certain specific gene or... Um, some of them are born that right. way. So I actually have a few clients um, that have admitted to me, like, I've known that I've been this way since I was a child. One of my clients told me, said he's known since he was eight years old. Um, another one of my clients said, you know, the first type of porn that he started watching was uh, really BDSM and sissy uh, centered. And uh, it's very interesting because they also, within the sissification culture, they do things like lock themselves in chastity cages. Mm. Um, so it's supposed to make them feel even more feminine because they're locked there. You know, they have usually, you know, small penises as well. And we call them, you know, little dicklets or clitlets and stuff like that. Um, sissies learn how to do something called sissygasm instead of regular orgasms. And it's essentially where they do a prostate massage or like, you know, they're fucking a dildo with their ass and they're able to uh, completely get off and come that way. Um, they're also able to, they're taught to rub their dicks like clits, like with two fingers and that one little spot, you know, right underneath the shaft. And so they'll get off like they're rubbing a clit instead of how a man would, you mm -hmm. know, essentially jerk off, how, how he would normally get off. And they also, even though they are heterosexual, they are very easily, I want to say coerced, but uh, because it's something that they enjoy doing. They like being dominated by someone and being told to use their holes because that's all that they're good for while they're in sissification. And so we usually bring in a heterosexual male for them to suck and to be fucked by. Um, and they just are essentially a fuck toy and they enjoy that they're being little cum sluts and um it's a very interesting kink and uh, there's a lot of psychology behind it um but so that's one kink though. that is just one so kink. let's you know one of the one of the things that when we were looking at you know the, the types of questions to ask is in the last say three to four years how has the fetish community shifted you know obviously we've had this pandemic and things were Fast forward. Mm -hmm. I want to. I want you to answer that one, and then get into what are the say the three um, areas, the focal points within the, the fetish community. If you, you know, you say sissyism is one. Mm -hmm. I've read also fendom. Yeah, is another one. And so, if you can just give us a a background on like you know what has really changed within the fet community. Fet community. Mm -hmm. um, um, no, uh, fet life didn't ask us to do that. But um, anyway, <laughs> um, and then you know what, um, you know what what are the, the top genres that you seem to to really gravitate to? So, um, okay, so the way that it has changed in the last few years is, and I hate saying this, but the you know BDSM movies that have come out, and I don't know if I can say their names, you know, for legal purposes. Um, let's hold off on saying the names. Yeah, um, but those 
while, so the, shades of, yeah, <laughs> while they are not accurate representations of BDSM or kink culture, they have allowed people to kind of mainstream BDSM a little bit more, made people want to experiment, try new things. Um, it's opened up a lot of people's minds to um, experiencing something new sexually because, I mean, you know, vanilla sex is great. Do not get me wrong, you know, but adding something a little bit extra into it that can really spice up people's sex lives and stuff like that and it makes it more exciting so um, that speaks to the psychology of it that, that really does yeah let's table that for later mm -hmm. come back because in our first episode we had isaiah maxwell jesse lee sabina rugen rug and um one of the things they were like the psychology of why people or you know look at porn mm -hmm. and how do they you know how they use to get off but this one the psychology, what you're talking about, is, is a different type of way how people tend to... Oh, it's a totally different Right. Way. And so yeah. let's, let's make sure that we touch on that and put that in the parking lot with Continuum. Okay. So uh, those being the, uh, you know, or that being how it's kind of changed in the last few years as more people are open, they are still afraid at the same time, though, to bring things up to like their partners. So they approach people like me, dominatrix. And a lot of times now with the access on Twitter and, you know, on the internet and different doms, we don't just do work in person. Now we're more accessible online. So they tend to come to me online and reach out to me that way, um, especially for the people who don't have a lot of experience with it or are too scared to go and do in-person sessions. So I'm able to do online sessions with them, Skype sessions with them, uh, texting, phone calls. I can really accommodate anything with them. Um, but that is how it's really changed, I feel, in the last few years. It's, it's grown as well. The community on Twitter is blowing up. Okay. Here's the thing. The community on Twitter is blowing up. Is, is that no different than, say, or is it specific websites that still dominate? So there, there are websites that focus on, you know, femdom and stuff like that. Mm. Um, especially selling clips so like mini clips and stuff like that would be a website that there's a lot of it's it's fandom based essentially and and I want clips is another one um, uh, those are all fandom based fandom financial domination not uh, so that's fandom okay fandom is female domination. female domination yeah so I do both all right let's go there because okay. this is you know when I when I look at you know your timeline and others I see fem Mm -hmm. Dumb, F-E-M-D-O-M, mm -hmm. and I see Finn, F-I-N-D-O-M, mm -hmm. and I'm like, okay, what the hell? You know, this is a whole, this space is, is, is intriguing because yeah. from a production standpoint, but go there. Okay, so you want me to explain the differences between the sure. two? Okay, so femdom would be normal, like female domination. Um, uh, it's, you know, the essential, like, uh, dominatrix style work. Theme, uh, like financial domination, that is different. Those type of subs require um, a different approach, uh, how you handle them. Their needs are a lot different. So these tend to be people that get off on the idea of growing the wealth of their financial dominatrix, giving them a better life, um, giving their paychecks up to them. I know financial dominatrixes that have made um, millions of dollars doing it. They have clients that are extremely wealthy. Um, I know 
there was one recently that I saw had uh, one of her subs sign his house over to her. And it is about control. These people have so much money. And again, it all falls back to the societal pressures of being a male and an authority figure within this world. And uh, sometimes they feel like they're not fit to manage their own finances. So they rely on a financial dominatrix to be very strict with them, to take over control of their finances. And there's a, you know, a few different aspects involved in it, like humiliation. They also enjoy uh, the aspect where they're like a little bit scared because some of them will hand over credit card numbers. Um, uh, some of them will hand over bank account information and you do absolutely anything that you want with that and they have no say over it. They have given you full and absolute control of uh, dominating their finances. And so I have people that will send me money just because, just because I exist, just because I'm there, because they think that I am deserving of, you know, a better life. I already have a lot of money and they're aware of this, but they love the fact that it continues to grow my wealth, to make me wealthier, to put me in a better place in life. And it's also a way sometimes of them just spoiling someone um, uh, without any judgment. Uh, it's, a, it's different than sugar babies because there's not a lot of return from uh, financial jobs. Uh, we sometimes, you know, do things with them and stuff like that, but if you have control over their phones or something like that. So one of my clients is actually a, a blackmail client, and that is a, a fetish right now. Okay. Um, uh, so I had one where he had me download a, a parental app on both of our phones, and he had the kid version, I had the parental version, so I was able to shut down every single application on his phone. And he enjoyed when I would ignore him or when I would shut down his uh, applications. And it, for me to turn them back on, he has to pay me in order to turn them back on. And this is consensual blackmail. I would like to state for the record that okay. none of this is you know, <laughs> done in a, in, in, in a legal manner. These are all people that have you know asked for these services and want these services. They want someone to be cruel and relentless and because sometimes they'll be in a headspace where they're like, no, like, I don't want this anymore. And uh, they, they, they do want this. Mm -hmm. It's just there's sometimes there's sides of them where they want to play like the game. Like I can't keep doing this or I'm broke and you know, they're lying and they, they get off on all of this and uh, they have to listen to you too. And that's one of the things that they love about someone having control over their phone. Uh, they have no choice. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I can shut down their access to Cash App, to the settings on their phone. I, there are uh, team viewer sessions where, sessions where I can go through everything on their phone and computer. I find out all the information on them. So they let you do this? Yes, they let me do this. They will voluntarily send me their driver's license. They'll hold their driver's license also up with their um, next to their face. They send me embarrassing and incriminating like photos and stuff like that information on family members and stuff like that, just on the chance that they decide to not want to follow through with it. And they want someone who would be willing to text these people and be like, oh, you're not gonna pay me? Okay, 
well, I'm going to message this person and send this to them. And this is all consensual to them. They have also an exposure kink. So the risk of being exposed to people turns them on. And it's, it's actually, it's, it's pretty interesting, but financial domination comes in many different forms. And that would be probably the, one of the most extreme ones. All right. So we just went live okay. on OnlyFans okay. uh, to those um, D Flourish XXX is the OnlyFans. Hi guys. And <laughs> mentioned in the description was a BDSM and fetish discussion, you know, just on um, deep dive. Mm -hmm. With Ashley Stone four four twenty, mm -hmm. and that is her Twitter. For anyone listening to this on the podcast, or if you're watching this on YouTube, it's well. Ashley with two E's. Ashley with two E's. Oh, probably have to correct that one thing. <laughs> <laughs> um. Anyway, so yeah, so that's what we're doing right now, and so um, just giving people because we actually just saw that it's giving people the chance to hear it live. Um. Hopefully, uh, people take advantage of that. You know, and if they have any questions too, like I'm more can, than willing. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so now we talked about fandom and fin mm -hmm. and, and fem and mm -hmm. vm. So where do you see? You know, I'm gonna go back to where you said you said the psychology of it. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that's one of those things where I think there's a misinterpretation. Yes. There, so no. the, there's large misinterpretations let's, when it comes to BDSM and cake culture. Let's go there. Let's go there. Okay, so one of the biggest misconceptions when it comes to BDSM and kink culture is that it's all about like bondage um, uh, and domination and uh, sadomasochism and stuff like that. It that's not true. I mean, it is to an extent, but people believe that it can you know, be violent in certain ways and they don't understand what the psychology of it. So when you have a submissive, you are in charge of their well-being. They do what is called a total power exchange, a TPE. And it's essentially where you take over their power. They trust you enough to give it over to you. But at the end of the day, what most people do not realize is the submissives actually have more control than the doms, unless otherwise discussed. So there's different types of BDSM and domination that is practiced. There's um, rack, prick, and SSC. I right, so go there. Okay. There we go. So uh, now, now we're getting deeper here. Yes. Yeah, so SSC is safe, sane, and consensual. Um, so the dom would essentially decide, okay, no, what you're doing right now or what you want to do, that's not safe. That's not okay for you to do. Uh, so we're going to stop right here. The dom has the power to stop if the sub, because when you get into a sub headspace, like very deep into it, it's hard to say no to doing things or you want to go deeper. Um, you want to do, you know, more hardcore things when you're in this sub headspace because you're in a very vulnerable space. Um, so that's why I like to practice SSC. However, there is prick and rack. So prick would be the exact opposite of SSC. So prick is basically like a personal risk awareness. Uh, uh, like you're, in charge of anything that happens to so say you were to get injured um, within the session, you are in charge of that. It is not my fault. You are already aware 
of the risk that can come along with this. You may not even know what we're going to do the entire time, but you have given consent to uh, let the dom, female, male, whoever, uh, take complete control, do whatever they want, and you can't say no. Um, so rack is a little bit more in between because that's risk aware consensual kink. And uh, that is uh, you're aware that there are R A C K. Yes. Risk aware consensual kink. kink. Yes. Okay, for those who were, didn't put that together, okay? Yes. And so that's that's kind of in the middle of prick and SSC. So they're aware that injuries can occur, mm. um, but the DOM is also still in charge of making sure that they stay safe as well. Um, uh, that they're not doing anything that will like permanently harm them, uh, which is what in prick you could do stuff like that. But that, that's where the more intense uh, sessions can lead to sometimes with prick. Uh, so like ball busting, um, uh, doing certain things that can literally put like your genitals in danger and stuff like that do permanent damage. Um, and these people are okay with it, the ones that want to do prick. And that's okay too. Everyone has their own style that they prefer. Mm -hmm. um, just for me, my preferred method would be SSC because I... Safe. Yes, safe and, and consensual. consensual. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I feel personally responsible for these people. I always feel like I have some sort of connection with my subs. You know, it, it's, it's not love or anything like that but it is I do care for my subs and the well-beings I actually uh, do mental health checkups on a lot of my subs as well that have disappeared um, you know gone gone off and contacted me for a while because I want to make sure that they're at least in a good headspace um, so also with safe sane and consensual especially when you're doing an in-person session one of the things that a dom should do is aftercare so aftercare is extremely important within BDSM community. It is essentially, once you are done with the session, you reward them. You tell them, you know, that they're, they're good. They did great. You bring them back down into like a normal, regular, neutral headspace because leaving someone in a submissive headspace and then just leaving can really fuck them up psych psychologically. Um, it can leave them with doubts about their worth or, you know, it can make them feel really shitty about themselves or, you know, uh, question their existence and stuff. So mm -hmm. it's, it's incredibly important no matter which way you do it, you know, whether it be prick, rack, or SSC, to bring someone back into a neutral headspace at the end of a session. Speaking of, do you find, are there clients who actually, you know, that look for your talents? Let's call them talents, okay? Mm -hmm. um, do they, uh, are, there, are there clients that want to fly you to where they are? Uh, if I'm in you, or, or are they pretty much more so the, the regional area? So, um, with me doing a lot of my work online during the pandemic the right The pandemic now, changes things. It does. It changes a lot of things. However, there are clients that do want to fly you out to places, mm -hmm. or that do want to travel to me, and, you know, do right. sessions and stuff like that. Um, but right now, like, you know, I'm really not able to do so because of everything and stuff. I've also had offers uh, from submissives who want to be living slaves. Mm 
So they're domestic slaves. They would live with me. They would do absolutely everything around the house, cook, clean, whatever. And I don't have to thank them. They live in a sub headspace 100% of the time. Can we talk about the, the, the sub headspace? Mm-hmm. That, um, it, it, it rings, you know, I, there was a, a movie I'm not going to say. Mm-hmm. And there's a, there's a guy who was a, a dom, mm-hmm. as a male. Mm-hmm. And he sort of trained the girl to be in a sub headspace. But now, do you find that sub headspace are only males or are they male and females? Male and females. Male and females. Now, yeah. So I actually started my journey into the BDSM and kink world as a submissive myself. As a submissive. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So that's how I was introduced into it. Um, and then I, so I had a dom. I had a male dom at one mm-hmm. point. And it was an amazing experience. So I feel like I am able to understand both sides of everything. And that's why it's so important for me to provide aftercare to treat my subs with, you know, a certain amount of respect. Because at the end of the day, they are my submissives. They are asking for certain services. And a lot of times they don't want that respect. They want to be treated, you know, like little whores or like my rag dolls. They want to do whatever the fuck that I tell them. And, uh, uh, but I understand where they're coming from, from the sub headspace, because I used to be one. Um, so I transferred over, I started realizing that I was at very minimum what's called a switch. So I could switch from Dom to a uh, sub back and forth, whichever one I needed to in the situation. So when I was modeling for a while, um, modeling and BDSM overlap. And a lot of people do really? not realize that. Still there. Okay, so with the type of modeling I was doing, I was doing a lot of like boudoir, swimsuit type stuff. Um, I also did nude modeling. Um, But I also did, uh, within the nude modeling community, there's a lot of people that want to do shibari rope shoots. So where you're like suspended by the um, rope work. Now, do you know how to to type? Yes, so I am not the I'm not the best. I'm still working on that. I lost some of my skills because I used to do them years ago. I'm working on gaining them back. Right. And it, it's a lot harder to do it when you don't have too many in person clients at the time, especially during all of this right now. Okay. So uh, yeah, so BDSM and modeling overlap. It's just very interesting. So when I was modeling, I did nude modeling. And one of the shoots that I did was with a photographer. He was a U.S. citizen working in Singapore, but he flew out here. And he specialized in shibari. And I did this amazing, just phenomenally beautiful shoot in the middle of the woods. And there was this two-story cabin where one complete half of it was glass. It was just physically beautiful. And... Um, he did shibari rope on me and I was suspended in front of the cabin at one point with the ropes completely nude. Um, he also suspended me from the staircase that they had in front of the glass, just did a really, um, lot of like artistic knots and stuff like that because it's not just normal rope tying there. It's a true art form. Um, but that was, not the way that I was introduced to BDSM, but it was definitely something that showed me more of like the BDSM side. His photographs that he takes, so he'll, he'll buy the rights from the models that he shoots with. He ends up going and sells these photographs, like large prints, to extremely rich men for like $15,000 who are into these fetishes because it, they can pass 
shibari rope stuff off as artistic. And it is artistic, it really is, but it's also very fetish-based. And so it's, it's extremely interesting, and uh, I really got uh, the opportunity to meet a lot of people within the BDSM community once I was modeling, to educate myself more so. And at this time, you know, like, I was still like a, a switch. Uh, I wasn't a predominantly a dom. Uh, that developed later on as I got a little bit older. I realized that, in general, I have a very dominant personality. Uh, even just my interactions in my everyday life with people that I know, I have a very dominant, loud personality. I kind of take over things, take control. I've always been a leader. And uh, once I started doing doming for fun when I was in the modeling industry, uh, I really fell in love with it. And I was being educated about it uh, through these people. And it, I, I, really, I really did just fall in love with it. It was amazing. And so I decided to take it professionally because I was so good at what, the, at what I do. Uh, I had so many compliments. The, the content that we shot uh, with you guys, my, my client, he told me that I had pegged him better than any guy had ever fucked him before. All right. So pegged him better than anyone had ever been inside of him from a rear perspective before. <laughs> yes, yes. You know, because he is, you know, um, I'm unsure of his sexuality, I would say probably pan. Um, but so he considers himself queer. And he has a uh, partner that is biologically female. And, uh, but he also enjoys males as well. And uh, I, when I, when I pegged him, when I was fucking his ass with my strap on, he said it was the best that he had ever had. So I, I honestly took that as a compliment. <laughs> I really yeah. loved that. Um, and it goes to show that one, that I'm good at my job, but two, that I'm passionate about it too, because I took pride in the fact that he told me that. Uh, it, it was a true compliment to get feedback like that from a sub, because you do end up caring about your subs in a specific way. Uh, what you're doing is very intimate, especially with the power exchanges and, and being able to trust a dom well enough to take your power from you and to hold on to it and to be in charge of everything about you and your body. Uh, you end up developing, you know, a dom-sub relationship, which is different than a lot of people think. Uh, like I said before, you know, how I check up on them, do mental health checkups and stuff. I do care about my subs to a certain extent. At, it is a job also, so I do have to separate that because there are some that try to cross lines that think that I'm their friend in every aspect, and I'm not. This is my job. Uh, but I, I do enjoy what I do. It's a, it's, a, it's a lot of fun. Um, I've really found my calling within all of this, and I've enjoyed doming as long as I've been doing it. And I didn't realize how good I would be at it <laughs> until I actually started doing it. I was scared my first time, actually. Tell us about your first experience. My first experience doming? Um, oh, gosh. So... I had a client that this was before I was being paid to do it. it, it so it was it was essentially a friend who asked me to do this before I became a professional at all of this, and uh, they wanted me to do some pet play 
Uh, so people have pet personas within the kink community. That's why you'll see a lot of people that wear uh, the like headbands that have like the cat ears or bunny ears and stuff like that. They have pet personas. And uh, that one was, I think I felt like it was a really good like introductory uh, session with someone because pet personas tend to not like humiliation. They like to be praised and told how well they're doing, they're doing a good job, but also having someone like in control. They usually do not speak at all during a session. It's normally just animal sounds, you know, like woofing and stuff like that. They crawl on all fours. Um, essentially, they just want to be your pet. They want to be at your feet. They want to be around a dominant woman. Uh, who just, you know, treats them like their property and stuff like that. And that was a very fun session. Uh, that, that's all I did was just treat them like my pet. And uh, I, I loved it. I actually really love pet personas. They're very fun. And they're very friendly, too. They're probably the friendliest, I would say, of all subs that I encounter. Okay. Yeah. Um, uh, but, I mean, you know, there's... There's people in every different king, just like there is, you know, in every different race and religion that, you know, are, are bad names for that king. But in general, pet personas are my favorite. Um, but you have to stay in character. You know, you have 100%. You cannot let up out of character unless they say so. So with my subs, you know, I have the uh, green light, yellow light, red light system. Uh, red light would be hard limits, yellow would be like soft limits, and green is obviously like a go. Um, with the yellow light stuff with my subs, to me, I discuss with them, I say everyone should try something once. Yes, now you're allowed to have hard limits, but you don't, you can't definitively say that you do not like a specific kink unless you have experienced it one time. And so that's usually what lands in the yellow light uh, spectrum of my site. Yeah, yeah. So uh, they can say, I, I usually give them the opportunity. I say, like, okay, if it's since that one is a yellow light one and you have discussed that with me, if you say yellow light on something, I will continue to push a little bit further to try and get you through that space because sometimes new kinks can be scary. Um, uh, new different. Uh, fetishes, experiencing new different things, it can be frightening for a submissive. And uh, so I try to push them a little bit further and continue doing so. Uh, but if they say it a second time, that's when I will stop. Uh, one thing people don't realize, like I said, is that the while the dom is in charge and, and has the power, ultimately at the end of the day, the submissive has the most power because they have the one they have the power at the end of the day to say, stop. That's the thing about domination, is there is an aspect of consent within it, within the BDSM culture. Consent and communication are of the utmost importance. And uh, it is incredibly, incredibly important for you to listen to your sub because you don't want to do damage to them psychologically by continuing to do something that they aren't comfortable with. Um, uh, it can make them feel guilty or not want to session anymore or make them feel scared. It can make them regress mentally in certain aspects that you've worked on with them. Uh, so a lot of people need to realize that submissives actually hold the most power, even though they're handing over their power to a dom. And, you know, it, it's, it's a very interesting dynamic. 
Um, but it's all consensual and that's the most important part about it is that people have agreed to this. So like in that certain movie that, you know, we're not stating in that movie, most of what he did was not consensual. That stuff was kind of forced on her. She did not give her expressed consent okay. that she was interested in trying these different things. You know, that she was like, okay, I'm, I'm cool with us doing this. Let's try it. Communication is incredibly important within the Dom sub community. Uh, you need to communicate. Uh, and, and that's so, that actually kind of leads into the relationship aspect. So there are a lot of people that live lifestyle BDSM that are partners, you know, married, husband, husband, wife, wife, husband, wife, whatever. Um, uh, and uh, I almost feel like people who live within the BDSM uh, lifestyle, mm -hmm. those couples maintain better communication than regular couples because you have to communicate about everything that you do sexually, which is one of the most vulnerable parts of yourself. But as a society, we all, you know, society, 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 especially with certain movies, um, and, um, has opened itself up to, you know, to that. It's the question that, you know, that's ringing in my head now, though, is, you know, someone's going to listen to this and see this. Mm -hmm. And they just hear what you just said mm -hmm. about relationships. And they don't be like, now, I don't know if you can go there or not. They'll be like, well, what about her relationships? You know, she, 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 she you know, because you know, she's sitting there like, you know, she's a doctor, etc. You know, what about her relationship? So what, how, and we don't have to go to certain depths, mm -hmm. but how has this world affected your past, present, future? You know, okay, so with past relationships being in this, it has affected it because there are some people that are not, in, there was, you know, there was one person specifically that, you know, wasn't really into the lifestyle, did not understand the culture behind it, and the relationship ended up failing in the end. Uh, our, my communication on my end was very high. Everything that I do with my subs and within my job and stuff like that is communicated to my partner in a way that still maintains confidentiality, you know, for my subs because I don't want to give away any private information that they trust me with. But my partner would know what I do. Um, uh, there are now that I'm dating more so and stuff like that. I have found that if someone is not open to what I do, uh, it's just not going to work. Right. Keep it moving. Yeah. You know, yeah. Keep, keep it moving because like I need to be able to be with someone who one accepts what I do and understands that this is my job. I enjoy it. It's more than a job to me. I also live in the lifestyle. So whoever I end up with will also understand that communication needs to be maintained. And I feel within my dating life now, it has helped me immensely because I communicate so much with the people that I'm talking to. And it may sometimes seem like an overwhelming amount that I'm communicating with people, yeah. but I feel like it's important to put stuff out there up front, be honest about it, instead of just like dancing around topics or, you know, when you're first talking to someone and you're like, normally shy or whatever and you want to present like the best sides of you and stuff with me being in the bdsm lifestyle i i maintain great communication with the people that i talk to because i feel the need to 
um, and the want at this point too. It's not even just a need anymore. It's, it's that I want to communicate with these people. I want to be open. I want to be honest and I don't want to have to hide any aspect of my life, my job of who I am. And so my job has really helped me get better at communication, communicating my sexual needs, communicating my relationship needs, my emotional needs. Uh, it's actually pretty interesting how it has helped me in a lot of those aspects. And I, uh, I really do believe that couples within the lifestyle tend to have better communication than those without. And I'm not saying it's a, you know, a catch-all for everyone. You know, I know that there are people who live you know, relatively vanilla relationships and have great communication, but it is essential in a BDSM or lifestyle relationship. Uh, so therefore, like, they have to maintain communication, even if it's, you know, a simple text or whatever about, you know, something small or having a sit down with someone and discussing like, hey, I'm interested in trying something new. Um, uh, would you be into doing this? And then the person can reply back and be completely honest whether they're interested in trying that or not. I have a client that is engaged and he is open with his fiance about his fetishes. However, his fiance is not interested in participating in most of his fetishes. So she knows that he has a dom. Um, and there are a lot of uh, relationships and, and you know, people that are married in relationships that have doms on the side. And it helps because they still, again, it teaches them to maintain communication and that's how they're able to be open and not hide it from their significant other. Uh, which I really love when subs are able to do that. Unfortunately, there has to be a maturity level. There, uh, yes, there does have to be and, a maturity and, and, level. And, that comes with time. and there also has to be an acceptance level too, because there are a lot of people that fight their kinks. They think that they're not natural, or because of the you, the stigma that society places on BDSM culture and sex work in general. Uh, there are a lot of people that feel that they have to hide their kinks. I have another client, he's a sissy, um, in his regular life, he has been dating his girlfriend for many, many years. His girlfriend is unaware of his kinks. And now it's not like I can come out and say, you need to tell your significant other. So at the end of the day, that's not my place. Um, my place is not within their relationship. Uh, but I do try to encourage them to come out and, and tell these people about their kinks because I want them to live their authentic selves, not feel like they have to hide who they are, um, change who they are depending on who they're around. Uh, and then it's also created a very dangerous place for subs because some people, when they repress it for too long, hide it from the people around them. It becomes it, dangerous. It, it becomes dangerous. They... Once they have an outlet available for them to uh, explore that kink, they want to continue to go further and further and further and into dangerous territory. One of my subs, this is an online one, uh, he had a dream about me dominating him and he contacted me and wanted to kind of recreate this dream. So he's having a dream about Martin Luther King. Yeah. <laughs> but he wanted to be dominated, okay. Yeah, uh, yeah. So um, he had a dream that he had a session with me and the session was, so since he's a Skype client, because he lives on the West Coast right now, um, uh, 
I went to Walmart with him on Skype. He was wearing lipstick underneath his uh, mask. He'd actually wiped his mask uh, on his asshole beforehand too, because he likes the humiliation aspect mm -hmm. of being a sissy. Um, he went there, we went shopping together. He uh, he bought a few items, like a dress and some like fuzzy slippers, bra underwear, um, and then he didn't have any toys, so we found some suitable food for him to be able to use as uh, like anal toys. So uh, he also enjoyed what's called um, uh, coerced intoxication as well, which is actually pretty common. A lot, um, a lot of the subs like to be intoxicated and told how much to drink and when and stuff like that uh, to get them even more into a submissive headspace. It helps kind of like uh, allow them to reach that point. But he, we went and did all that on Skype. He went back to, you know, the place that we were in a session and he, I was on camera with him. But one of his, one of the things that he had dreamed about doing too was kissing a toilet seat at you know, the public place that he had gone shopping at. And I had to tell him no, because we're in the middle of a pandemic that is extremely dangerous. You know, I, I don't want to put any of my subs in danger with their health either right now. Mm -hmm. um, uh, maybe if we weren't in a pandemic, yes. Uh, but I feel like that is something that's not safe. Um, uh, and I, and again, since I practice SSC, that's not safe saying, you know, it right. is, it was consensual, but it was not safe or sane. So I had to tell him, no, you can't do that. So we went back to, you know, his place on Skype, he did some crazy stuff that you would not even be able to imagine. And, uh, I would say the things that he does is actually some of the most degrading, um, and intense things that one of my subs will do because he represses it for so long and because he tries to fight it for so long. So when he has the chance to have an outlet, he'll do absolutely anything that I tell him to anything that he's dreamt of. You know, I could literally make him if I wanted to eat piss and shit, you know, like he, he really, really would. And then he would thank me for it afterwards. <laughs> um, we had a question actually that's come through. Okay. And, and um, I did a Twitter post, mm -hmm. um, and one of the questions is, what advice do you think people need just starting out in the industry? Now, I don't. that's really a loaded gun because I don't know if that is starting out as a dominatrix or if it's starting out as a sub, but mm -hmm. what advice do you think people need just starting out in the industry? And then the second one is... <laughs> What is your guilty pleasure? Okay. <laughs> okay. So for advice starting out in the industry, research, mm -hmm. research, research, research. You need to feel like you are confident enough in understanding a kink um, uh, before you start taking on clients that have those kinks because you could really do damage to someone psychologically. Um, you need to feel comfortable with what you're doing with them. If you don't know what you're doing, it's a recipe for disaster. You're also not going to be successful uh, anyways when, when you're doing that because you're not going to have returning clients. There's going to be clients that are not happy with the outcome of, of what just happened. And they can tell when doms are lazy, when they haven't, or, or when they're brand new into it. Uh, 
they're a lot smarter than people think. They're, mm. They play psychological games with doms as well. Mm. And so okay. it's a constant psychological battle between subs and doms. And uh, I would definitely say research is your best bet first. Um, learn how to do things safely too if you're going to do in-person sessions. You also need to make sure if you do in-person sessions you have sex worker friendly bodyguards. Uh, one uh, that goes with you as well. Someone who can either be like outside the door or in the room, not really paying attention but always keeping their ears open. Mm -hmm. um, so that's just for the safety of the dom as well because there have been incidences where people try to set up sessions and doms end up getting attacked and so it can it's crazy. yeah so it's not always the safest industry so you have to take an incredible amount of precautions like if I'm if I'm doing an in-person session with someone I'm going to get their ID information yeah. you know their full name uh, all of that and then they also you know they sign release forms and stuff like that as well uh, I, I do it as legal as possible and uh, you just, there's there's a lot of precautions that you have to take in safety wise whether it's for your physical safety your legal safety um, anything like that because you don't want something coming back and, and harming you in any way um, and since it is a lot of psychological play uh, you, you need to make sure because there are some people that do like set up sessions out of they want to be in kink culture but they also hate themselves for it mm. so therefore that's that's how a lot of doms can end up in sticky situations and dangerous situations because like these people hate themselves so much that they kind of want to take it on the dom um, so that's why it's very important to like maintain security as well when you're online You need to make sure that you're using like a VPN You know you have different ways to protect the security on your computer as well or just have a different computer and uh, cell phone in general that uh, holds a you know no important information on there uh, obviously most dominatrixes will also use uh, stage names and stuff like that as well so that's incredibly important for subs, I've had subs that contact me and I'm able to find out their first and last name because they don't even change it when they contact me. And so I have to let them know, like, look, if you're going to be in this space on the internet, you need to know how to protect yourselves as well because there are a lot of people who will do non-consensual blackmail. And so they find out information about you. They'll find out information about your family, how to contact your family, your significant other, you know, et cetera, whoever, and they will blackmail you for money so that you will have to pay them so you won't be exposed. And I, I've had to do that for a number of subs because they they don't they don't know any of that. They're mm -hmm. they're naive to it when they're coming first coming into it. So you have in, in both aspects as a dom and a sub, one of the most important things to do very first thing uh, would be to protect yourself, protect your identity, uh, because who you are as a sub and who you are in real life, uh, you don't want those two to overlap too much. In certain aspects, yes, but um, you don't want it to ruin your life because there are some people that have kinks that literally control and rule their lives. and. Uh, it can, it can really damage like your job, your your family relationships and stuff like that. I, I've heard of so much stuff happening 
And so I, I make sure for myself and for my subs that we take all precautions necessary uh, in order to maintain privacy. So one of the, with me being a dom, I've always upheld the fact that I maintain confidentiality with my clients. I do not give out information on who they are. Um, I will only do exposure or release who they are if that is their kink exposure or blackmail. But otherwise, I protect them. That's part of my job is to protect them as well. It's interesting. Like, it's refreshing to hear anyone within the sex working industry mm -hmm. saying protecting their clients. Mm -hmm. You know, um, there are some that um, that I, you know, I, I've come to you know hear about that. You know, once if you're not protecting your clients, you're done. Mm -hmm. You know, and then because we're at travels, etc. You know, Quite so great. you know you you. You stay out of courts. Mm -hmm. You you stay out of um, certain allegation shenanigans mm -hmm. because your livelihood is a delicate one. Guilty pleasures. Okay, my guilty pleasures. You escaped me. I'm not letting you escape that. <laughs> so I definitely have some guilty pleasures within my job. Right, what are they? Um, uh, definitely humiliation is one of my guilty pleasures. Um, I have some. I, I love it, and it, you have to be very creative in the ways that you approach it, too, because some people are incredibly desensitized to certain types of humiliation. It's very much uh, formed for each individual. You know, it, it's, a, it's a different curated experience for each individual, but you kind of have to pinpoint by talking to them a little bit. Um, what their weaknesses are, what their insecurities are, how you can humiliate them. Because some people think, you know, you can just say like, oh, you're a fucking loser, you're a little bitch, or something like that, and that'll do it for them. And that's not going to do it for most people. So humiliation is one of my guilty pleasures right. within it. Right. Another would absolutely be pegging. <laughs> I was, I was, I was thinking you going to say chocolate, strawberries, uh... You know, um, eating uh, eating popcorn and jello in the middle of the night, putting whipped cream on, on somebody. And oh, so we're doing regular guilty pleasures. We're doing regular guilty pleasures because, guilty. Okay. They, you know, you are a regular person. If they saw you in the street, they don't know who you are. No, they don't. Right. So most, most of the time, you know, I my guilty pleasures are hanging around my place in sweatpants. And, there you go. You know, just being lazy. I love watching Netflix and playing video games. Um, I am actually a, a gun owner as well, and I like going to the shooting range and doing stuff like that. Uh, another guilty pleasure of mine would, uh, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what we're gonna do? You say gunner, gun range. So here's here's the thing, fellas out there, if you're listening or if you're seeing this and you want to shoot your shot, she is single, ready to mingle. And she has her rules and principles. So I do. Thank you very much, Miss mm -hmm. Ashley Stone, for joining us today. Anytime. We're gonna look for more and look for more uh, of her uh, videos. We got to say who pays the bills. Um, the Flourish XXX Flourish. and the Flourish Fetish where you can find her at ex um, exclusively um, at right now. But as, before she branches out, and gets too big for us. <laughs> anyway, thank you, Miss Ashley Stone. No problem. Thank you for having me. Awesome.